This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, December 5th. I'm Virginia Allen. Armstrong Williams and Dr. Ben Carson are the authors of the new book, Crisis in the Classroom, Crisis in Education. They're joining me on the show today to talk about what exactly that crisis is, to break it down, and discuss some of the solutions for what we can do to actually address the problems within our education system. Stay tuned for our conversation after this. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in Heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. America's education system is languishing. In October, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which is also called America's Report Card, revealed a catastrophic decline in math and reading scores in America just since 2019. And here with us to talk about the state of education across the nation and solutions to fix the problem is the host of the Armstrong Williams Show and entrepreneur Armstrong Williams and neurosurgeon and former secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, Dr. Ben Carson. Thank you all so much for being here today. Pleasure. Well, Mr. Williams, I want to start with you and ask a little bit about these national test scores. It was really disturbing when we saw these numbers come out. In mathematics, eighth grade students, their scores have dropped eight points from 2019 to 2022. In eighth grade, their proficiency in reading has declined about three points. What is going on here? Is COVID entirely to blame for these issues? Are there other factors affecting this dramatic decline in education? Well, well, I, I certainly, I don't think you can leave COVID out of the equation, but that's not, that's, that's not all of it. So look, um, Florida had it right. Florida did not allow uh, its students to social distance. It defied and challenged the White House when they claimed that kids could learn virtually. Many of these kids did not have internet. Many of them did have internet. And when there was an internet disconnect, the parents were not aware. And so the kids would miss class for that day. Oftentimes the teachers were not prepared. It was just disorganized and kids were bored and isolated. And so obviously we should not be surprised of of the results given the issues that we were having before COVID-19. And remember, COVID-19 also unearthed, uh, from, it gave birth to Moms for Liberty when they discovered what the kids were actually being taught, what was going on in the classroom. And listen, and we all know that the more the NEA, the more these um, special interest groups grow in power, the more at the expense of dumbing down education and children becoming more and more illiterate. Um, that's just a fact. The more the power that these NEA, um, these lobbyists have, is at the expense of these children. And one of the things that we often forget is that 
family is also a significant culprit. You know, we don't like to talk about this. Um, when you think about single motherhood and adolescent pregnancy rates, especially in minority communities during the previous century, have produced generations of children without a second parent who were born into poverty and lack nutrition and, and actually adequate habitation. I mean, they are born burdened with figurative change in the race of life. Um, and politicians, what they often do so well is leave welfare undisturbed to attract the votes of their government dependents, while welfare recipients leave politicians undisturbed to maintain a high their unearned government benefits. I mean, it, it is sort of a form of such of a pathological domestic abuse in which the wife returns to her abuser out of necessity. And so that's what they, they, they created here. And, and so this crisis has impacted families in, in ways just, uh, just unimaginable. But their story, these stories are real and riveting of the incumbent problem in urban cities across America and also all sectors of America, because you you ask yourself, how is it possible that a child can go through school for 12 years and be illiterate? Mm -hmm. And how can you know that they don't measure up with math and English? And how do you know they cannot write? It is such a, a devastating blow to the human spirit. And listening to these parents and hearing these kids, you can also see their dreams for a better future for the children. It's just doomed. It's just doomed. Mm -hmm. And you clearly see what they know that they were cheated. And this is actually, they were cheated. And, and so what we, and, 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 and it is such a harsh reality also that, um, that I think that what, this is probably one of the greatest robberies in the United States. And if it were a financial crime or any other crime for that matter, dozen would be charged, prosecuted, and likely face jail time. But that is not the case here when we fail our kids. And we must ask ourselves why. We must ask why this continues to be so acceptable when people are being robbed of an opportunity to make a good life, to have real self-worth, real self-esteem. We know that it's, it's, it's education, this passport, keeps kids farther away from sexual trafficking, from prostitution, from petty theft, from, from the prison system, being incarcerated, from homicide. We know exactly what happens when a kid is educated. It's not 100%, but it's 90%. I'll take that 90% any day. And are, are we also selfishly, I mean, absorbed by our own daily problems that we're complacent with the grand larceny of our children's future? And this is why Dr. Carson, Attorney Crump, and I decided to come together. Because the children who attend these dilapidated schools are survivors of a corrupt system that, frankly, really doesn't care about them. It really doesn't. Uh, and no one wants to say, and to politicians, they're nothing but votes. And for education administrators, you know what they are? Expendables. And so these communities are populated by, guess what? The unschooled. Because why? Why? Because the educated leave, they move out of the city to enable their children to escape from the debil debilitating miseducation they experience, but more stay behind with neither hope nor ambition. That is why school choice, charter mm -hmm. schools are so important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and 
I I love the fact that that yourself and Dr. Carson and Mr. Benjamin Crump, you all have so strategically looked at all of these issues within our education system, and you have put together a book called Crisis in the Classroom, Crisis in Education, where you're tackling these are the issues that we're seeing and you're bringing solutions forth. If if you had to sort of diagnose, okay, this is the core. These are maybe, you know, the top few issues for the reasons why our kids are falling behind. What would it be? I mean, is it family? Is it issues like critical race theory? What's at the core of the failure in our education system right now? First, we have to be conscious mm-hmm. about bringing children into the world. What that responsibility is, it's not to get some check as not something to make you feel good. It is a huge responsibility. I think some people realize, don't emphasize enough what it means to be a parent uh, and what it means to have children. Um, you know, because the problem is many children die now before they have a chance to live. And to have children, you've got to teach them sacrifice, discipline, responsibility. But more importantly, you've got to teach them about morality the moral compass and to raise them because if not they will pray not only lose out in the classroom but they will pray on other children sucking many of them into a life of crime and violence we're in we're plagued with crime and violence why because the children having children we're beginning to see what these children have become they don't have real self-esteem because they did not get the skills in the classroom nobody cared about them no one invested in them so they have to find any means necessary to develop a living Stealing, lying, cheating, whatever is necessary. Because no one ever really taught them right and wrong, that there's a better way. And so much of this is reinforced in the media, and we make excuses for them, and no, none of us ever hold them accountable. You, I mean, minority communities encourage dangerous subcultures that elevate violence and drugs that are often glorified in rap music. Young minority men are captured only to die or be in prison for sort of a hormonal race to self-destruction. And and music should inspire us to sort of follow the better angels of our nature and and not lure us into the depth of depravity unsuited for manhood. They don't even understand what it means to be manhood, a a man. Why? Because the fathers are not in the household. Mm. There are only so many things that a church and a mother can teach a man or woman. Fathers are necessary. We don't emphasize what that means anymore. And now we've redefined families and redefined what that means. Men defend the home and the community. They are role models. Without them, gangs and crime flourish. Young males plunge into violence, crime, and sexual promiscuity. And so the secret of crime fighting is good fathers who insist on discipline and learning with no excuses. I know. I grew up in it. Let's not forget the collateral damage of the crime epidemic in the inner cities. Innocent kids murdered while going to and from school. We see it, are playing at the park of cities like Chicago. They're, they're the rule, not the exception. They're not no longer the exception anymore. They are the rule. Criminals are remorseless and prey on the good and the bad without discrimination. And this, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Only fathers are necessary to help navigate this. Dr. Carson, I know that this issue is very, very personal to you, uh, and you talk very openly about how education was so important in your household growing up. If you would just share a little bit about the role um, that 
that education played for you as a young person and the role that your own mom, the emphasis that your own mom put on learning and the importance of a strong education? Well, as a youngster, I was not uh, particularly strong academically. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> uh, the other kids were always glad I was in the room because no one had to worry about getting the lowest mark on the test as long as I was there. Mm. But uh, I just really didn't think that I was smart. So as a result of that, I really didn't pay close attention to what was going on. And then, uh, interestingly, in the fifth grade, uh, we had eye exams. I didn't know that anybody could see the board. I got glasses, and all of a sudden, I could see the board. And I went from an F student to a D student. And I was so pleased, and the teacher was pleased, too, because she had low expectations for me. My mother was still horrified that I was getting these grades. And uh, she worked as a domestic cleaning other people's houses, and she noticed that they did a lot of reading and didn't watch TV a lot. So she concluded that that had a lot to do with their success. She came home one day and imposed that on me and my brother. And we were not happy campers, believe me. <laughs> I mean, days where we would have called social services on her. But, uh, you know, we had to read the books. And um, I didn't like it very much at first. But as I started reading about people of great accomplishment, great entrepreneurs and innovators and scientists, I, I started to understand that you don't just become one of those people. You have to work at it. And that uh, the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, I became a bookworm. I was reading everything I could get my hands on. In the space of a year and a half, I went from the bottom of the class to the top of the class. Everybody was just amazed at this transformation uh, that had occurred in me. But I was just thirsting for knowledge at that point. And it completely changed the trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, allowed me to, you know, come from very humble circumstances to become a brain surgeon. Yeah. And wow. It, it had to do with education and mm -hmm. recognizing the importance of it. And one of the reasons that we wanted to write this book is to help people to realize that our educational system is an incredibly important part of success in our society. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you get a good education, you write your own ticket. It doesn't matter if you come from a liberal family or a conservative family or a black family or a white family or a yellow family. It doesn't matter. You go ahead and, you know, you, you program that computer of yours, which is your brain. And uh, like a regular computer, you get out of it what you put into it, you have yeah. to program it if you wanted to do things. <laughs> if you don't do that, you kind of like, uh, duh, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was so important that John Adams, our second president, said that our system is based upon an educated and informed populace. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you have people who are very easy to manipulate. And it's very concerning in, this, in our society today as you see the dumbing down of our people. Yeah. You know, all you have to do is go back and look at, uh, you know, a middle school exit exam from the early 1900s or from the 1800s and see what kids were expected to know uh, compared to today. 
and mm. you know spending so much time on gender classifications and things like that as opposed to the basics of what you need to know so that you can read an application and fill it out appropriately so that you can read instructions and follow them uh, so that you can you know accomplish a lot of the tasks that are needed for basic employment mm. and uh, we have a lot of kids graduating who don't have those skills and what are they left with unfortunately frequently a life of crime and debauchery and that's our fault as a society we need to recognize this and we need to take the steps to do something about it now you know one of the things of course is uh giving people choice and education mm -hmm. but not everybody can take advantage of that and we still have a lot of people in public education so we need to rectify what is going on in our public educational arenas yeah dr carson when it comes to things like the teaching of critical race theory in the classroom or gender identity how does that have an impact on students in the classroom, both on their on their educational abilities and on overall just unity in the classroom? Well, it's very distracting. I have a friend, uh, his eight-year-old granddaughter came home crying one day, and she said, Grandpa, am I evil because I'm white? Mm -hmm. Now, where are you hearing that from? <laughs> where is you getting those kind of ideals? And of course, you have a lot of the black kids or minorities feeling all of a sudden that this society is stacked against them, that it's impossible for them to excel to the degree that they should because society is stacked against them. You know, if you think you're a victim, you are a victim. There's no question about that. And, uh, you know, my mother, if anybody was a victim, it was her, but she refused to be a victim. She came from a huge rural family in Tennessee. Uh, shuffled from home to home, was able to get less than a third grade education, got married at age 13, years later found out that her husband was a bigamist. I mean, if anybody was a victim, it was her. She refused to be a victim. She refused to let us be a victim. She was always saying, you can think your way out of this and depend on yourself and depend on God. And if we ever made an excuse out of her mouth, the next thing was a poem called Yourself to Blame. And, uh, and the question, do you have a brain? <laughs> mm. <laughs> and if you do, if the answer was yes, then it doesn't matter what John or Susan or Mary or Steve did or said. You could think your way out of it. Yeah. Mr. Williams, I want to pull you back into this conversation. I was interested, the Washington Post, they recently published an op-ed that was discussing the frustration that some teachers have um, with things like standard-based grading. So these are policies that tell teachers, you know, they, they can't give a kid a grade lower than a 50 or that, you know, there is no, um, there is no deadline for when homework can be turned in. What is the effect of policies like that on students, especially minority students? You know, the, the unfortunate thing about those policies is that, first off, it creates um, a challenge with your own peers. Because, you know, kids are the cruelest of all, and mm -hmm. kids gossip and they tease. And so kids are very aware when their colleagues in the classroom are not studying and they don't earn a grade. So they have to deal with that stigma. But the truth, the true test of that stigma really doesn't happen while they're in school. It's what happens after they graduate. 
and they must apply for jobs and they don't cannot read, they cannot write, they cannot do basic arithmetic. You pass them along for this false self-esteem and this false self-worth. It's like giving a kid a prize, even though the certain kids who score between nine and 100 earn the prize, you're gonna still get the same prize as some kid that scored between 30 and 50. The, the impact that it has long-term is where the devastation happens. Sometimes it leads these kids to suicide, it leads to depression, it leads to the lack of self-worth. And, and, and for me, um, I, I don't even understand how you can give something to anyone that has not been earned. I mean, what that does, and consciously you understand that you did not earn it. It eats at you. It's no different than you're being in a classroom and you know you cheated your way through that classroom. You know there's something inside you that knows that you did not earn that. And it's one thing for a teach a kid to do that for them to themselves, but for a system to allow that to happen is just very crippling. Mm-hmm. Dr. Carson, I don't know if you're if you're still with us and able to hear, but um I would love to ask you a little bit about the faith component that you uh, that you write about in the book and the role of of religion and the role of faith that plays within the education system. Of course, this used to be a really core tenet within uh, within America's education system in in the early days of our nation. How does the conversation of faith play a role in our discussion of education today? Well, I, I hope you can hear me. I'm in rural Georgia and. Uh... It's not good communication out there. But the, the fact of the matter is, in early America, our schools all posted the Ten Commandments. And in 1963, we said, no, you can't do that anymore. Um, what exactly is wrong with thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not envy, you should honor your parents. You know, these are general principles of Judeo-Christian societies. And as we push those out, they have to be replaced with something else. And not teaching our children morals and values is having a very deleterious effect. They don't respect other people. Instead of love your neighbor, it's cancel your neighbor if they don't agree with them. You know, these are things that will obviously sow seeds of division within our society. And I think that has a lot to do with with some of the violence that we see mm-hmm. and some of the things of that nature. Uh, It's not the guns, it's not the knives, it's the mindset of people Mm -hmm. that we need to be worried about. And there are are countries that have more guns per capita than we do, like Switzerland, they have almost no problems of this nature because they're not sowing those kinds of seeds. So we need to be concerned about what we are teaching our children in terms of their relationships with their fellow human beings. And that's where faith and religion come in. Mr. Williams, looking at all of the problems that we have talked about and addressed, it, it's easy to get a little bit discouraged about our education system. But what are the solutions? What can parents do? What can we do as citizens? What can teachers who are listening do to raise the bar and actually be serving our kids well and raising those education standards? Well, you know, the media, which I'm certainly part of, uh, frequently has the problem spoon fed to them too, but regularly fails to report on them seemingly for political or other business related reasons. Um, You know, when you look at Project Baltimore and the Baltimore City Schools and that internal 
illiteracy testing uh, in which the Baltimore school system found that 77% of high school students read at only an elementary school level. And even worse, their internal reports were not publicized by the school. Instead, they were only uncovered when a distraught teacher, teacher leaked these reports to Project Baltimore. They just couldn't take it anymore. They just could not take the destruction of being part of a system. She just could not sleep. And so she risked it all. And you would have thought that would have been the headline. Um, but it wasn't because you know what the mainstream media are aware, but to protect their own special interest groups, um, they do it often at the expense of the children. And so this, the sadness is, is that, and then parents play a role. I mean, parents understand that their kids are being exploited. They know their kids are not educated. One of the things that happened in our household, not only did our parents read to us, but we had to read to our parents. Why? Because they can measure our learning capacity. They could measure the progress that we were making. And we had to go um, to the library. We had to read. Television was earned, not a, a something that was expected. And so the future is what each of us individually makes it. But what does it cost us as a society if we do nothing to help motivate people to rise to their full potential? Because as Dr. Carson says so often, every child is born we're freedom in this country, but are they truly free if they're born in environments that rob them of freedom before they have a chance to know what it is? I do think so, which is why, particularly uh, in the inner cities across America, we most hold these political leaders accountable and look internally at the culture changes the community needs to make in order to prosper. So, but the need has wider application, all Americans, just like Dr. Carson and Ben Crump and myself are coming together, we have to come together to make everyone succeed in their ambition because a rising tide lifts all boats. And politics is not about winning or losing. It is about making everyone a winner and giving everyone a helping hand when, 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 when it necessitates by the vicissitudes of life. That's what it's about, because in the end, it seems that those who purport to unify us are, are dividing us, and minority communities can be made safer, and minority people can thrive if they are unafraid to speak up about the conditions of their communities, and if they are given the facts and the opportunities to think of creative solutions, address problems that they direct, that directly cause their suffering, and hold those accountable who put them down. They've got to have that kind of freedom. They cannot feel they're intimidated. Uh, they're betraying some kind of oath when it's at the destruction of not only their kids, but their parenting and the success of their kids that someday will take care of them as Dr. Carson did with his mother and I did with my mother. This stuff has long-term consequences if we don't do something about it. Yeah, thank you for that call to action, Mr. Williams. Dr. Carson, before I let you all go, I, I would be curious to ask, there are some Americans, particularly on the political right, who advocate for an end to the Department of Education. Having worked as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, what do you think? Should the Department of Education be dismantled? Well, you know, it's pretty hard to get rid of something that's been established for a long time. Uh, maybe it wasn't necessary, uh, in the beginning, but it's here now. So rather than getting rid of it, I would say, let's use it in a positive way. Uh, let's, uh, you know, understand the value of education for all of our citizens, and let's try to make it equitable and available to everybody. And, uh, you know, the Department of Education is not only about elementary school and high school. 
It's also about universities. And the Department of Education could actually be effective in terms of grant money uh, to sort of remove a lot of the bias that's going on in our university campuses. You know, they it's supposed to be a place where people have discussions where they learn about all kinds of, of different philosophies instead of a monolithic indoctrination school. And the Department of Education could play a very significant role in helping that occur. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for your time today. The book is Crisis in the Classroom, Crisis in Education. It's out now and available. We'll put the link in the show notes for anyone who would like to order it. But we so appreciate both of your time today. Oh, we appreciate the opportunity to talk about this important work and more importantly, to talk about how we all come together to give mm -hmm. these kids who are coming a chance to not to fail and have a real quality education so they can become a Ben Carson, a Ben Crump, or whomever else, as long as they determine that and then instead of somebody else determining it for them because of the lack of an education. Absolutely. Mr. Williams, Dr. Carson, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Again, if you are interested in learning more about this crisis in the classroom and you'd like to get a copy of the book, Crisis in the Classroom, Crisis in Education by Armstrong Williams and Dr. Ben Carson, the book is out now and available for purchase. We'll be sure to put that link in the show notes. But thank you all so much for joining us today. That's going to be it for today's episode. If you have not had a chance before, make sure to take just a moment to leave us your feedback by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. We love hearing your feedback. Again, thanks for joining us today. Have a great week, and we'll be right back here with you at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Samantha Asheris, and Jillian Richards. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.